This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Martine and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. And then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who's an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There is no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any seat, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of the symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and to admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it's an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, these same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program is a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So I wonder if our guests would like to introduce themselves and give us a quick sketch of who you are, maybe starting with your age. 
Hi, I'm Stacey. I'm an alcoholic. I am 13 years sober. My sobriety date is the 10th of June 2007, and I am 37 years old. Cool. So how long have you been sober for? Oh, 13 years. Excellent. And are you working at the moment? No. And what about um, your situation? Are you married? Do you have children? I'm not married, but I have three children. Nice. How old are they? They are 11, 5 and 2. Cool. And um, where are you from? Could you give us a little bit of a background about your, your childhood and what it was like growing up? Um, I was born in Christchurch and I've lived in Christchurch my whole life. Um, I was brought up like, on the east side of Christchurch in Burwood Way um, with an al- active alcoholic father. So mm-hmm. it was a bit unpredictable growing up. There wasn't violence or anything like that, but it was definitely emotionally unstable. You didn't know what you were going to get from day to day. So I kind of lived in hyper-awareness, I right. guess, a lot of the time. And, yeah. When, when you say you didn't know what you were going to get, was that sort of like mood-wise? Yes, that- so you'd sometimes get fun dad that would come home and didn't matter what mum had been slaving away or doing. It was, we're going out for tea and we're doing this. I'm fun dad, let's play fight and blah. Or sometimes you'd get grumpy dad that just sat on the couch and drank more or was passed out in his car in the driveway so he couldn't actually make it inside or would snap at you or yeah. go nuts because the light was left on and track you down the hall to bring you back to make it, you know, like, so, yeah, you didn't know what was going to happen. Right. And very unpredictable. Sure. So what about you? How old were you when you started drinking? 14, yeah, 14. And can you tell us about that first drink, what it was oh, like, what it was makes? lovely. <laughs> Oh, oh, that first one. Man, I had no idea that that's how I could feel. Yeah. You know, because I was very alone, very shy, would go red as soon as someone looked at me, let alone had to make eye contact and talk to me. And I went out with my sister and her friend, and we all went in on like a whatever amount of dollars, cheap bottle of vodka and a bottle of Lyft. And I drank it, and I was funny, and I was talking to people, and I was running around, and I was dancing. It was just, is this how I could have been living my whole life? Yeah. Like, is this how I could have been feeling? Like, this just fixed everything. This just made me who I was. This is complete. You complete yeah. me, you know? Yeah. And, and that's kind of, yeah. And that, unfortunately, was my one-off, and the next drunk was not not that. Right. So no. what was the next one? The like? next one was also vodka, and it ended up with me in the gutter covered in my own vomit and a couple that I didn't know. I remember none of this. I blacked out. Yeah. um, Taking me home to mum, covered in vomit at 14. How was was mum? Mum's a great codependent. She was very lovely. She took care of it. She took care of me. (laughs) (laughs) So, So when you started drinking... You know, sort of like regularly. How was it? Were you drinking socially? Were you alone? Were you a binge drinker? Were you a daily? What sort of drinker were you? Well, being the age I was, it was binge, and just when I could get someone that looked, you know, one of the friends looked old enough for, you know, I was right on that cusp of when it went to twenty-one to eighteen, like right. just as I was seventeen-ish, I think, is when it happened. So I had some eighteen-year-old friends that could help me out and. Yeah, I just... Oh, my God, I forgot the question, sorry. Oh, was how how did you drink? Oh, how did I drink? Yes, yeah. So I mainly... Well, I did binge drink because I still had to go to school and stuff. So I still attended... Well, I was enrolled. I didn't really attend, but I was still enrolled at school. And I I binged. I binged drink. It was... 
just started off normal, you know? Yeah. Well, never normal feeling to me now, I know, but it look, would have looked normal teenage antics that spiralled very quickly into I was always the one blacked out, I was always the one being taken care of, I was always, the, I just thought that was normal though. Yeah. Because I was young, so yeah. I thought it so, was normal. So when you could like buy your own alcohol, was it still binging or did yes. that... So it was. So it was always. Yeah, it was always. But it was always weekend drinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It never really came over into during the week unless it was a public holiday or something like that. But it was always Friday, Saturday night. But uh, yeah. But it never really. Yeah. Because I still, I had to afford my alcohol, so yeah. I still had to get up and go to work. So I couldn't. I, yeah, I physically wouldn't have been able to function doing that. Right. Yeah. And so, d- did you ever feel then, sort of, you know, when you were younger, that it was a problem? No, right. Because I was, because I stopped my last drunk. I was twenty three, right. A few months after my twenty third birthday, so it didn't really become that evident because it's what everyone kind of did. Yeah. But I just felt different about it. Like I just knew it was a bit off. Like I drank faster. I had that excitement around it. Like I'd wait for. Oh yeah, my flatmate will come home from work, and it's like, can we go? We'll go to the liquor store now. She's like, man, I just want tea. I just want to chill for a bit. We don't have to go out till later. And I've got that eager, yeah. But I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been waiting for this kind yeah. of thing, and yeah. So it was always a bit different, but still normal enough in the party scene that I was in that it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't red flaggy yet. So when you so you stopped when you were twenty three, but before that, had you ever tried to stop? No. Right. No, no, I didn't. Like, that's one thing that I don't relate to is when people say I've tried mul- like over yeah. and over yeah, and there's yeah, yeah. a bit in the big book about how they try every imaginable way. I didn't. I was young. We went out. We drank. That's what we did. I, yeah. You know, even now and then if you'd like go on a detox or a diet because you want to change your life or have an inspirational thought or something, I would. Yeah. But I'd last a couple of weeks and then think it was a decision to start again because it would be my birthday or a friend's birthday yeah. or yeah. But no. So, so what took you to that place where you decided what happened that you needed to stop? That it was a problem. It wasn't even that spectacular. It was very odd. It was a normalish drunk night round at a friend's house. Um, I woke up the next morning and my friend, my flatmate, my best friend, shouldn't hold back. She kept going on. Then you did this, and then you did this, right. and we were laughing. But then she kept going, and then. Right. And then, and then I went into this massive shame spiral. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, that's not normal. Like, yeah. that's not normal. And my dad was nine years sober at this stage. So, genetically, I thought there could be something. And then that was that. I just went into the, you know, I had a shame spiral every weekend. So, the shame wasn't, it was just felt heavier this time. Right. It felt, this is it forever. Is this what it's going to be like? And then it was Monday morning, I was at work, and I literally just had, it was a light bulb moment that I went, oh, maybe I'm an alcoholic. Because I'd done family of origin stuff, I'd worked on childhood of alcoholic stuff, I'd worked on Al-Anon stuff, but I was like, oh, I think think this is what my actual problem is. Right. And it was just a bing, and I walked out of my workstation that I was in, I texted my dad and said, can you take me to a meeting tonight? And that night I was in a meeting and hadn't... Drunk since. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was about, yeah, it was just that one week, nothing 
traumatic, spectacular. Yeah. I didn't lose anything. It just went. This uh, yeah. I just had that moment of this is it forever. Yeah, no. Because I guess so so many people, and I guess you know I was sort of included in that. You know, and they were talking about it in the and um, earlier in the show that whole thing of denial. And you were so lucky, I think, mm. to a degree that you th- that that all of it was there before you had maybe pushed it down. Because I know yeah. that's what I certainly did. I mm. I had feelings, but I didn't want to acknowledge them. Yeah. Well, when I was about thirteen, um, I started counselling because I was already messed up. I already like insanity was already a thing. That that was my main fear. Is oh, I'm just going to have to be institutionalised. I've got depression. I'm just this is just it for me kind right. of thing. So I'd already. St- on the ball of trying to get help to fix whatever I was anyway at such right. a young age. And then dad got sober when I was 15, which was so annoying because I just really started drinking and right. he had like dozens of home brew and he just tipped it all out. And I'm right. like, oh, I was getting ready to steal all that. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, and yeah, so it was just, I'd already done so much work that it just kind of was, and then with dad being nine years sober and, the dad I was brought up with, the scary, unpredictable person, was not this person anymore. Yeah. And it kind of needed to say the odd thing, but never implying, ever implying, thank goodness, because that would have put me off straight away. But, yeah, and then it just, yeah, it was just like the last, oh, I think yeah. I can relate to this. I think that's it. Mm. So how noticeable was it with your dad, having that, I guess, that example of recovery in oh, front of he you? he wasn't the same person. He just wasn't the same person at all, like, that I grew up with. That Yeah, no. He was, like, the safest, kindest, best human ever. We were best friends, you know, and that wasn't dad. Yeah. <laughs> no, that wasn't, that wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, active alcoholic dad wasn't that dad. Yeah. Mm. So the next question is, how did you find your way to, an, to your first AA meeting, which mm. you've already um, explained that you got in touch yeah. with your dad. But could you tell us about your first meeting and what it was like? Yeah. So I walked in and so dad's belly button birthday. So the day he was actually born, not his sobriety birthday, is um, New Year's Day. Right. So for year, which is the worst day when you're in active addiction for your dad to have a birthday. Yes. And so he'd have, but he'd have, yeah, <laughs> so he'd have these barbecues. He had them for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years, whatever. And, well, I was nine years, yeah, a few years anyway before I got sober. And so all these recovery people would show up and, man, I'd have to show up hungover as, still sometimes drunk. It was awful, but you, you showed up. And so I knew a lot of people and the meeting he took me to was his home group. So I walked in and I knew at least, you know, 15 of the 20, 30 people that were there and they were just like, oh, are you here? Just, uh, you here? Or are you, oh, are you here? Kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, I'm here. This is so embarrassed. I was just embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. And then people started sharing and I don't think I heard a word they said at all. And then at the end when they stood up to do the serenity prayer, that was fine. But then the holding hands. Right. Oh, I, like, that needs a warning for new guys. <laughs> right. Like, it was the middle of winter, so I had gloves on. So I was like, I don't actually have to physically touch anyone. But I was like, oh, what is this? And then Dad was also very good of your journey's your journey. So it was like, on the way to the meeting, it was like, this is the one meeting I will take you to. And yeah. we probably, if you stay sober, won't be in a meeting together for Unless it's your sobriety birthday or years, you know, and he's stuck with that. And then a woman came up to me and said, I'll pick you up tomorrow night. And I went, oh, I've already been tonight. (laughs) 
and then she took me and then the next so that was a Monday and then the next night next night next night and then it was the Friday and she messaged me and said I actually can't go to a meeting tonight but I can pick you up tomorrow and I just thought I just heard enough to go I have to get to a meeting though yeah. so I managed to get myself to a meeting walked in slipped on one of the Easy does it's that were laminated <laughs> on the floor, and I was late. Oh, it was oh god, it was yeah. But I needed to be there, and it was yeah. fine. So yeah, my first experience of a meeting was actually embarrassment that this is where I've right. ended up so young, and people knew me. But yeah, also, yeah. When you said you needed them, did they make you feel better? Yes, right. And yeah, what well, was my first Friday night as right. well? That oh, was okay. my drinking night. So yep. I'd been all week, but then they made me feel better in the way that. Lucky that that first meeting, I didn't really hear much, but on like the talking on the way there and on the drive home and that, it was, don't listen to the similarities, Stacey, because, you know, it's like, you're not going to relate to the 50-year-old man or the, you know, whatever-year-old mother of five at the time, you know, you're yeah. not going to relate to that part of their life, but listen to the way they felt, the way, yeah. you know, that shame spiral, yeah. that guilt, that out of control, all that the self-loathing, the suicide, all that stuff I related to. Yeah. Even though I was 23 and we're all from, like, people that wouldn't normally mix. Yeah. But I related to what people were saying and it made me feel like I wasn't alone. Yeah. It, and you you guys got me. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So could you describe to people how it is that you think you've managed to stay sober, you know, this whole time? The steps. Right. I've done the steps. I... Mm. So when I came in, I made the decision that if if this is where I'm going to end up, I know it's a day at a time, but I want that day at a time to add up till I die, pretty much, is how I thought of it. And if that's what I want, I want it to be the happiest, best life I can be. The steps are on the wall. People talk about them. That's the program. The program's yeah. not coming to AA. The program's the steps. Yeah. So. I knew I needed to get a sponsor. I know I needed to do the steps, and that's what I did. I was, a, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, was there much of a gap in between you starting? No. And, right. I got a sponsor that said, I expect the steps to be done within the year. Right. Why would you put off health and happiness? Yeah. I get that some people do it differently. I have absolutely no judgment. This is just my only one story of how yeah. I did it, and that's all I have to share. And I liked that. I picked a sponsor that was not a friend because I didn't need one. I needed yeah. someone that had knowledge of how this worked, how, and they've been sober X amount of time, did it the way I want to do it, and that's what I did. Yeah. I just did what they said pretty much. So how, over, over the time that you've been sober, how have you coped with difficulties? I have a high, I have a spirituality and a higher power that I believe in that helps me you know, I hand a lot of the hard stuff over and trust the process. I have, I've been around long enough to know now that everything always works out. Yeah. Even if it's not how I initially think it's going to work out. And hard times happen in everyone's lives. And I've never not been okay. Yeah. I've never not been yet. If I just trust that I'm going to be okay, I don't do anything like pick up a drink or pick up an attitude, or yeah. be rude to people, or lash out in other ways. You know, coming, you know, the emotional stuff coming out sideways and blaming, like being a bad mother, or beeping in traffic, or doing something like that. I just know that if I behave and stay in my lane and keep everything right sized, I don't need to. I don't 
I just it's just it just works out. It just yeah. does. I just trust it. And yeah. it does and I don't know how, but it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how important do you think service has been as, as part of your recovery? Service has been big and especially when I could do a lot of it pre children. Yeah. Um it got me in the mix. It kept me in the mix of of AA where it's like I think like my sponsor at the time likened it to a merry-go-round. You know, if you're on the outside just holding on, you're going to get flung off. But if yeah. you're in the middle and actually working with people, then it's good. So it's like in the earliest days, in the first five, ten, five-ish years, I did quite a lot of service. At the moment, I'm just not in a position. I have a two-year-old, yeah. a single mum with three kids. So I do service at the meeting home group level, yeah. more like, you know, secretary, unlocking the door, you know, setting yeah. up that stuff. But once they're grown and more, then I'll do more service but very yeah very important to get that fellowship and how would you describe the life that you have today oh it's amazing it's different I have peace of mind I'm a decent person I'm happy I'm happy you know like I was never genuinely happy before yeah I'm content with my life it's just I'm not just not the same person I don't want to wake up and die every day yeah like I really like being alive I like feeling I'm not scared of feeling anymore there's nothing feelings you know, they're not fact. They're not going to kill me. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I actually now appreciate them because they always have a lesson and I can grow from them. Yeah. So, and what about your relationships? Well, oh, man, of all, I have them now. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not just because I want something from you or because I think you're cooler than me. Yeah. There's a lot of that, you know, like I wanted to be cool. Yeah. So it's like I had the group of cool friends that, you know, so that's what my my relationships are, two-sided, healthy. I don't have drama. I don't have people in my life that cause me any drama, right? which is amazing because, you know, people around me have people in their life that have drama and I'm just like, I don't, that's not welcome. Yeah, I have really great boundaries and because of that people, I attract people that respect those boundaries and we have, I have good, solid people in my life now. Right. Mm. Cool. So AA is described as a spiritual program. Mm. Um, how would you say to people that you think spirituality differs from religion? Oh, completely. Religion is, um, so spirituality to me, I get to pick my concept of a higher power. It's not out of a book or it's not in a room or it's not a certain person telling me. It's not a set of, necessarily even a set of morals or beliefs. It's just like morals and beliefs and that, but I put them on myself. I get to pick what my higher power is and that I find that freedom amazing because it's not conditional. I can make it whatever I want it to be. As long as it's not me trying to make the decisions and take over, yeah, spirituality to me is unconditional where religion unfortunately has a bit of conditional in my head it does anyways but you know what works for one doesn't work for another and yeah so the spiritual side of it works a lot better for me and how would you describe a life lived on a spiritual basis freedom freeing i don't yeah (laughs) it's just my head's just not so busy like i don't have to have the conversations in my head with people that don't know they're having conversations with me in my head i have peace of mind I have content, you know, I remember when I first felt, I thought I was getting depressed because I didn't know what feeling even felt like, but just feeling right-sized and just content with everything and I don't have to rush in and fix or I don't have to rush in and destroy, I don't have have to respond like lightning to everything. I can take a breath and, yeah, 
peace, freedom. It's just, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, and lastly, what would you suggest for any listeners who think they might have a drinking problem? Is there a question that you would ask them to ask themselves or what advice would you give them? What, for me, most people that don't have a drinking problem don't have to question if they have a drinking problem. Right. You know, if you walk like a duck and talk like a duck, chances are <laughs> you're not a goose with a duck suit on. <laughs> you know, so if you think you have a problem, what harm could it possibly do? To just reach out, give the 0800 AA number a call, have a chat, see if you relate, go to a meeting or half a dozen, just see how you vibe with it. And if it's for, you know, just, yeah, that's what I'd say. Just reach out because most people that don't have problems with alcohol don't need to think about whether they have problems with alcohol. Very, very true. Stacey, thanks very much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Mm. For our listeners... If you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear more AA members sharing their experience. Our show is every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesdays at 12.30pm. You'll also find podcasts of our past show on the Plains FM website at Plains fm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to stop, we can help and you don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.